All right, obviously that video keeps going and gives an overview of the rest of the book of Hebrews. I love those overview videos like that, and I will send out the link uh, this week in the email that I send out every week. If you're curious about how to access that video, I'd love to send that to you. It just helps when you're studying the book of the Bible to back up and be able to see the big picture of what's going on. So, 20 years ago this summer, summer of 2003, I was a youth ministry intern at a church in Corsicana, Texas. Uh, Corsicana, if you don't know where it is, it's on Interstate 45 between Dallas and Houston down there heading south in, in Texas. And so I was the uh, youth ministry intern at this church living with my aunt and uncle, hanging out down there. It was a great summer. So one day we were in the office and a gentleman in the church came by and spoke to the youth minister and myself and said, would you guys like to go on a helicopter ride? We'd never been on a helicopter ride. And he was like, would you guys like to go? We said, sure. Narrator, they should not have said sure. Like, that was not, that was not our best decision. So uh, he comes, takes us out to the airport. We get up in this helicopter. He takes us all around the area, shows us what's going on. The Bible fell over on stage. That's not good. Get that thing back up there. If it falls over again, we're going to leave it. Takes us up, flies us around. And then he turns and looks at us. And I know I'm in trouble at, at this point. And he says, do you guys want to see what this helicopter can really do? No, we did not want to see what this helicopter could really do. But he was going to show us whether we wanted to see or not. So he dips the nose and goes down into this valley, this riverbed valley, and starts following this riverbed. And we're in trouble at, at this point. Like Clinton and I are barely holding it together. He circles back to, to the airport, lands the helicopter, we get off, try to say thank you to him for, for the experience. And Clinton, who has driven the church van over to the airport, looks at me and says, intern, you're going to have to drive this van back. Like, I can't, I can't drive at this point. So I get in this church van. He's laying on one of the seats in the back of the church van, and I'm driving very slowly back to the church. Needless to say, that was the last helicopter ride I've ever taken. And unless something goes very wrong, it will be the last helicopter ride I ever take in my life. However, the value of it is when you get up and you see the big picture, you see the layout of the land, it changes the way you think about things around you. There's a great Bible lesson in this. There's a great Bible lesson in this. I think one reason people struggle to understand the Bible, one reason people get so frustrated with Bible study is they don't see the big picture of what's going on and so they can't understand the small details that are being expressed. And so Bible study is this constant process of going back and forth between big picture and detailed stories. Big picture, detailed stories. It's seeing the forest and the trees. And so one of the things you can do that helps you understand the Bible is just step back and say, do I know what's going on here? Well, let's think about the big picture of Hebrews. And specifically, let's think about the big picture of Hebrews chapter 1. What's going on here? In the big picture is what's the author trying to do? He wants us to see the greatness of Jesus, and he wants us to see the role that the scriptures, that the Old Testament, that the servants of God are meant to play. That's what's happening in the book of Hebrews. When you step back and you see the big picture, when you look at chapter 1 and think, what's going on here? Do I see how great Jesus is? And do I understand the role that God's servants, that God's scriptures that have been given to us are supposed to play? Do I understand that? Then, anytime you study the Bible, 
it is a good thing to ask the question, why? Why would the author do that? What, what's the purpose? The purpose is we are tempted in this world, and this is a 2023 problem as well. We are tempted to elevate spiritual experiences, spiritual beings, servants of God above the deity and the importance of Jesus. And when we get those flipped around and we think having a powerful spiritual experience or studying about spiritual forces or understanding angels or all of these other things, when we make those more important than Jesus, it goes off the rails in a hurry. And if you don't think this is a problem, just ask around or find out what people are interested in. We live in a world where people are trying to manifest spiritual experiences. They're fascinated in spiritual elements, or they want to know all these other things, and they've lost sight of what is most important, and that's understanding who Jesus is and and what he came to do. So here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to look at the remainder of chapter 1, and I want you to see the greatness of Jesus in this chapter, and I want you to see the role that the scriptures and the servants of God are supposed to play. So let's start in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 3, let's, let's see what's going on here. It says in this, in verse 3, he, speaking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then what you can see on the screen comes in the middle of verse 3. It says, after making purification for sin, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was finished. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Just like Jaron was saying during the music, there are multiple places during the book of Hebrews where you're going to find Jesus compared with someone or something from the Old Testament, and the book of Hebrews is going to say Jesus is better. Jesus is superior than this. Now, in saying this, It does not mean that what came before was bad or inferior or lesser in some way. It just wasn't complete. So, rotary phones were great. Cordless phones are probably better. Um, Kids, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced rotary phones before, um, but my house growing up, my house growing up, we had one of the few rotary phones around And I think people would come and visit my house just to use the rotary phone. Yeah, if you don't know the rotary phone, you pick your number, go around, wait for it to go back, go around again, wait for it to go back. Even better, it came with a party line. Um, So if you don't know what a party line, it's kind of like a group FaceTime that anybody can join. Just pick up the phone and find out out what's going on. And so rotary phones were great (laughs) for what they were. Cordless phone was probably better, and getting rid of party line was definitely a better idea. Just because something came before, to say that what comes after is better doesn't downgrade what's before. It just says it wasn't complete. It was meant to point to this. So we have that Jesus is as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let me make a quick comment here that might be helpful to think through. This verse should cause huge alarm bells to go off in your mind If there is a religious group that is pointing you to another scripture, another book, another revelation from God that has been told to come from an angel, and and I say this knowing these are our friends, they're our neighbors, our our co-workers, we we approach these conversations with humility, 
We prom- promote these conversations with, with wanting to care for people around us, but let me be very frank with you. If there is a religious group that bases their re- beliefs and practices on a further revelation from God beyond the Bible, and they say that that came from an angel, huge alarm bells going off there because Scripture is so clear that the angels were involved in the giving of the law, the work of God, but where was it all supposed to point to? It was supposed to point to Jesus. The work of the angels is finished at that point. It's pointing to Jesus because he is so much greater. And you say, isn't that arrogant? Well, it would be except for the reason that Jesus is better. What name has he inherited? Son. He comes as the Son of God. He comes as the one who is not only a servant of God, but he is the Son of God. And I want you to see the way this happens in the book of Hebrews. Look, look what comes next in verse 5. If you're looking at a hard copy, I don't know what it looks like on your phone, but if you're looking at a hard copy of the Bible, there's a good chance that verse 5 down through verse 13, the spacing will look different or the font will look different. The reason is, is because this is a stream of Old Testament quotations here. So verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say in the past in the scriptures, which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Okay, it's incredible what the author does here. What happens in verse 5 is it begins a string of seven different Old Testament quotations. Just earlier in Hebrews, and we talked about this last week, the book of Hebrews began with seven descriptions about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do. So the author of Hebrews hits you at the very beginning of the letter with seven descriptions of the greatness of Jesus. And then he follows it with seven Old Testament quotations telling you why that's true. If you're obsessed with the number seven, like I said, the book of Hebrews, I'm obsessed with the number three, the number seven, all these numbers. Like it's just fun to see it all connected. Why the, why the number seven? The number seven is a reflection of perfection or, or completion. It's, it's a way of saying, here are seven verses, and I could give you 70 more. But I'm just going to put these seven in front of you because I want you to see who Jesus is. The way the author does this, and you might, if you're in your hard copy of the Bible, you might be able to draw kind of parentheses around the side, but he does it in groups of two. So there are three groups of two quotations, two, two, and two, and then he uses a final one down there in verse 13. So I want you to see verse five, these are the first of two quotations that he's going to use. These first two are grouped together because they speak to Jesus as king. And you've sung about that for the last 30 minutes, <laughs> that Jesus is king. They speak to Jesus as God with us, as the one who reigns over all things. These quotations are taken from the book of Psalms that speaks about the coronation of an Old Testament king. Or it comes from 2 Samuel 7, talking about David and how a king will come from David, Solomon. But then Solomon's not the perfect king, so we're always looking for that king to come. So you see here, the author is putting these quotations in front of you so that you will see that Jesus is king for what purpose? So you won't chase after all the other things in this world that can distract us. So you won't give yourself to something else other than Jesus is king that you will say, Jesus is better. 
I see that. I see that he is son and no one else is in the same way. Okay, look at the next verses. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 and 7 gives us two quotations about the angels. So we got two quotations about the son. Now we get two quotations about the angels. Verse 6. And again, when God brings the firstborn, speaking of the supremacy of Jesus, that he is firstborn over all creation, he rules over all creation. When he brings the firstborn into the world, when he establishes him over the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Are the angels to be worshiped? Nope. What do the angels do? They worship. Who do they worship? They worship the son who is the king. And so you see here, angels, they're not being spoken bad about. They're just being put in their place. What's the role of angels here? They are to worship the son who is the king over all things. Verse 7. What do we know about these angels? Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. You can see here, who are the angels? The angels are these created beings who have been created, these created spiritual beings who have been created to worship and also serve. They don't exist in the same way that God the Son does. They exist in a different way because look what happens next. Now you're going to get two more quotations about Jesus as the Son. Verse 8. This one's a little bit longer. Verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Before we go on, of the Son, he says, what does he talk about the Son? Your throne, O God. What's he doing? He's calling the Son God. And he's saying it will last forever and ever. It's going to last beyond these created things. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, has established you as king with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Then verse 10, he's going to turn around, he's going to give you another long quotation about how the sun will last forever. Verse 10, you, Lord, again, Jesus is being referred, he's been referred to as God. Now he's been referred to as Lord. He's been called the Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus, as the Son, as Lord over all things, you got everything started. You established the world. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Let me stop right here. Say something about this verse. This verse is such a comfort in the world in which we live. When you look around the world and, and it feels like everything is changing, I, I thought about this during the, uh, the baptism testimony up here a little bit ago. When it feels like things are always changing, when it feels like everything's out of control, when it feels like our circumstances are uncertain, when you try to trust somebody and then you find out you can't trust them, when you have all these things going on in the world around us, what do we know about Jesus in verse 12? You are the same, it says in verse 12, and your years will have no end. 
He does not change. Even if it feels like everything in your life is changing, your body's changing, your body's wearing out, your clothes are wearing out, this world's wearing out, everything is wearing out, everything is out of control, he does not change. You can trust him. When it feels like you can't trust anybody else, you try to trust people and they're always turning against you, you can trust him. He does not change. You are the same and your years will have no end. Look at verse 13. Look what happens in verse 13. This is the seventh quotation that's given. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Okay, don't miss what's happening here. The Bible is so incredible, the way it's laid out. Don't miss what's happening. Seven quotations, groups of two, tells us about the sun, tells us about the angels, tells us about the sun. And then the seventh quotation, here's what the author has done. He's thrown in a hook that ties back to verse 3, where in verse 3 we found out that the sun sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What do you find out here in verse 13? He said, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This verse is saying, why is Jesus better than the angels? Because he is victorious over all of the enemies of God. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over death. He alone sits at the right hand of God, triumphant. You can trust him. So what about those angels? Verse 14, what about the angels? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Are the angels bad? Are they being downplayed? Well, some of the angels obviously turned against God, but the angels speaking of, spoken of here, are they being downplayed? No. Their job is to minister and to serve and to specifically serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Now, we're going to find out later in the book of Hebrews an important distinction between angels and humanity is that we experience redemption and salvation in a way that angels do not. That we are distinct in that way. That angels are serving those who are experiencing the salvation that God brings. Let me throw in a quick point here that might be a good reminder. And you have to be really careful when you talk about this, when you use this information. But just remember that at death, at death, we do not become angels. Sometimes you'll go to a funeral, and let me be super clear. I never correct anybody. At, a funeral is not the time to correct somebody's theology. It's just, it's just not appropriate. It's not what you should be doing. But, but I do want you to hear clearly from God's word how this works. At death, we don't become angels. God didn't get another angel when, when someone dies. That's not the role that angels play, and that's not what happens to us. That we are inheriting, we are receiving a salvation that's going to come, and the role of angels is to support and minister and serve so that people would be pointed toward the salvation that comes through Jesus. I put up here on the screen kind of a summary point, hoping you'd be impressed by how many times I got the number S in there as well. But uh, Scripture and servants— Oh, you, you hurt my S's there. Can you go back one slide just for a second? Go back just for a second so I can read out that phrase I worked so hard on. Scripture and servants 
point to salvation through the Son. If you're trying to sum up chapter 1 here, what's going on in chapter 1? What's the role of angels as servants of God? What's the role of these Old Testament quotations? They are supposed to point us to salvation that's found in Jesus alone. That's the message. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. That's especially the message of Hebrews chapter 1. The scriptures and the servants point us to salvation that comes through the Son. Today, earlier before the, the service, I uh, was talking with some guys, and we were talking, joking about Father's Day gifts, things like that. I want you to see a great Father's Day present. Now, this is from another church. It's kind of a photo booth. I know you can't read the sign, so I've zoomed in on the sign for you, okay? For Father's Day, we give you the gift of not having to take a picture at a photo booth. <laughs> like, sign me up for that gift. That's the kind of Father's Day gift that uh, I'm signing up for. Here's a photo booth, but it's roped off. You can't access it. You don't have to take a picture here. <laughs> like that, we may have to try that next year at Emmaus. Like that, that's a fantastic gift. That in cargo shorts, and I'm good to go. Like, sign me up. You know, we're, we're good to go there. So there's a famous joke in my family. We were living in New Orleans at the time of Hurricane Katrina, and Amanda may or may not have left my jean shorts and cargo shorts there hoping they would go underwater in Hurricane Katrina, so, uh, which turns out it, it, did, it did happen, and probably for my benefit, if I, would, if I would be honest. That's one idea of a gift. I brought some other gifts up here that I wanted to show you. We're always thinking about what gifts would we give someone when they came to Emmaus? What kind of gift would we want somebody to receive? I want people who come to Emmaus to get one of these shirts. This is the shirt we give people when they're baptized at Emmaus. Like, that's the kind of gift that I want to give, that someone would come here, hear about the gospel, hear that Jesus is better, and trust in Jesus for salvation. That's the kind of gift I want to give away. Every church has to have a cup or a mug that they give away. Like, we want to give these away because we want people to spend, spend time together. We want people to hang out together. We've got these Emmaus discs for playing disc golf, that you're going out, enjoying life together, spending time together, play together, do these things together. We've got these things we give. I heard of an idea recently that I think we haven't solidified, but we may try out. A lot of churches will hand out passport applications, either to their new members, or sometimes when they do parent-child dedications, they'll hand out passport applications. I love that idea because it communicates we want you to go and take the gospel. We want you to be prepared to go wherever God would send you. At the end of the day, though, when I think about these scriptures today, these are two gifts that I want people to have. The gift of God's word and the gift of a towel. Why a towel? Because it represents service. It represents washing feet. What do we want to be at Emmaus? What are we hoping to do at Emmaus? We want to focus on the scriptures, and we want to focus on serving so that people will experience salvation. What's your response to God's word this morning? Take your Bible. Love the word of God. Be devoted to the word of God. Desire to know the word of God. God, I want to know your word more. I want, I want to study this. I know that as I understand scripture, it points me towards salvation in Jesus. When we study the word of God, when we're studying the book of Hebrews, what are we trying to do? We're trying to see the big picture. We're trying to see how the Old Testament connects 
to the New Testament. We're trying to see how all of these Bible stories that we learn in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, they take us to the gospel, they take us to who Jesus is. If you don't know scripture, if you feel frustrated by the Bible and you're like, I just don't know where to start. If I picked up the Bible this week, I wouldn't even know where to start or, or, or how to go about it. Let me give you a plan for this week. So if you say, I'd love to read the Bible, I feel overwhelmed, I haven't read the Bible in a while, I, I just don't know where to start. Let me give you a game plan for this, this week to try out. Tomorrow, Monday, read Psalm chapter 1. It's, it's a great place to start. It tells you about the Word of God. It tells you about what it means to respond to God. Just start, the book of Psalms is wonderful to read through. Start in Psalm chapter 1. Just do that. Don't, we overcomplicate this. We make this too hard. Just start there. Tuesday, read Proverbs chapter 20. And you're like, well, that's random. Why would you do that? Well, because the book of Proverbs, one of the things I do personally is the book of Proverbs has 31 books. There are 31 days in the month. Whatever the date is on the calendar, I just read that chapter out of Proverbs. Or I read one or two Proverbs from that chapter. So Tuesday is going to be the 20th on the calendar. Just open up and read through Proverbs chapter 20. Takes a couple of minutes. Start there. Wednesday, let me encourage you to open up and look at Hebrews chapter 1. Maybe you could try to memorize the first verse, the first couple of verses in Hebrews 1. Read through Hebrews 1 since we've covered that on Sunday morning. Thursday, here's what I want you to do Thursday. Read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Why? Why do that? Because that's what I'm going to preach on next Sunday. And I want you to read ahead. I want you to ask questions. Begin to look at this. Think, what's most important in these verses? What questions do I have about these verses? What do these verses tell us about responding to God? What I want you to do Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday, read whatever you want to. Make up for what you missed. Realize we're not doing this to be legalistic. We're doing this because we want to know the Word of God. We, we desire this. Desire to know God's Word. And if you don't know where to start, ask somebody. We'll get you started. Serving. How are we serving? Servants worship. Servants encourage other people to keep going after Jesus. Servants are always trying to figure out how to come along and support the people around them. Dads who are here. One of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a love for God's word and a heart to serve other people. If you're here as a dad this morning, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a love for God's word and a heart to serve people that they see you worshiping. I, I think about my own dad, what an incredible example he was in this. His love for God's word, how many people he has served over the years, the niece family, the niece men are not exactly known for their singing voices, but when we were in church, my dad was singing. I stood next to him, he would sing, he would open his Bible in church, and he was always serving people. One of the greatest things, dad, you can do is love the word of God and let your kids see that and serve other people as someone who worships God and wants to point other people to Jesus. Why? What are we doing? Because we are wanting people to experience salvation. Let me ask you a question this morning. On a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you will go to heaven? On a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you will experience salvation, that you will be with God forever? If that number 
in your mind is not 10, let me encourage you to talk to somebody today. As soon as this service is over, you're going to be right down here to the side. You're surrounded by people who will talk with you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you will receive, inherit the salvation that comes through Jesus? God's word and the servants are all pointing you toward that hope. Let's pray together as we wrap up. Father, thank you for the gift of a church like this. God, thank you for how much the people here mean to me. God, thank you that this is a church that loves the word of God, that loves to sing together and pray together, a church that encourages one another, a church that serves the community, and all of that because we want to see people experience salvation through Jesus. God, we know that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything else that we could trust in in this world. God, I pray for the dads that are in this room that we would have a love for your word and a love for serving others that impacts the people around us. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that when they think about going to heaven after they die, when they think about receiving salvation from sin and death, if they're not certain of that, God, I pray that they would talk to a friend, would talk to a pastor, they would reach out to someone. If you are here this morning, I want you to know that the only one who's able to take away your sin and defeat death is Jesus. He is better than anything else you could give your life to. God, help us to believe that. And God, do a good work in our students at Falls Creek this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.